Amen. Hey, welcome to the Church of 1122. How's everybody doing? Doing good? Good. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. It's the second book of the Bible, so it should be easy for you to find Exodus chapter 2. just want to tell you, you look great. You look thinner already. Way to go. Congratulations. Especially those of you in the sanctuary. Y'all look the best. So, um, hey, real quick, we start our 130 service today. So next week, I would really love for you to encourage the person sitting next to you to go to 130 because you can tell them, I need that seat. I need you to go to 130 next week because I'm bringing my neighbor next week. And I love preaching in January because the church fills up and it, it makes me feel like a better preacher. I know that's not why you're here, but I think, wow, man, I must have been really good last week. Everybody told a neighbor and, and showed up this week. So 130, pray for us today at 130 that God does amazing things, okay? And then next week, I want God to answer your prayer by sending you to 130. Amen? Good. Um, <clears throat> hey, we've got some very special guests here with us today. I want to uh, introduce you or reintroduce you to Leave and Tyler. They are missionaries in Uganda, Africa. Why don't you come on up here? <clears throat> Guys, they run a core refuge. Uh, core refuge primarily is a gospel-centered orphanage and more. Um, they were up here last year telling their story a little bit, and it wasn't going so awesome. And then this year, it's going super awesome. So, Uh, Tyler, why don't you fill us in a little bit on what God's doing at Ecole Refuge in 2014. Well, uh, last year when Liev and I were here talking to you guys, um, we didn't have a lot of great news. Um, there was a lot of struggles, a lot of pain in, uh, in 2013, but because of that, uh, it prepared us for 2014, and I'm happy to say that um, it was an awesome year. Uh, we saw the Lord's favor, and we saw a lot of growth in Uganda. Um, We now have 47 full-time Ugandan staff um, that work with us, and we enrolled our 100th child into the program. Um, we also, yeah, amen, praise God. We also um, were able to preach the gospel face-to-face um, -face with over 2,000 people last year, and um, we graduated 64 students from our Bible schools, and right now we're training currently training 104 students, and then we launched our community development programs, built two community development uh, buildings, and everyone who's going through those programs is also being discipled and hearing the gospel. So, so just in case you missed it, so Tyler Lee's last name is Workman, and it, it's appropriate because, again, they run an orphanage for boys and girls with 100 kids, and these are like orphans, right? Um, they, uh, Bible school train up pastors to plant churches. Um, also, the two community development centers, and then my favorite, a piggery. That's, of all the men, I know the Jesus stuff is most important, but when I'm there, I like working in the piggery. If you want to see the craziest video you've ever seen, go to my Facebook and see us transport a 450-pound pig. It's awesome. It's like a horror movie. And then, uh, and then you also run a coffee farm, right, to help support all of that. Now, what we could all <laughs> agree with is that God has had his hand on your life and on the ministry of a coal refuge, but... If you back up a few years ago, kind of before you were going to start into all of this, I'm sure you guys had a lot of fears and doubts and a lot of excuses or maybe even wise counsel that said, here are some reasons that leaving Tyler should not lead a core refuge or even get it started. What were some of those things or some of those excuses that maybe you could have, maybe could have bought into? What are some of them? Um, we definitely heard a lot that we're, we were too young. Um, I'm 28 now. Uh, we started about five years ago, so... Um, I guess was younger then. Um, uh, we also had a lot, you know, we have, when, the, when we moved, we had two girls, five-year-old girl and an eight-month-old girl. So, you know, people said, hey, why, you know, you had kids, now raise them, don't take them over there. That's crazy. Um, you probably have heard some others. 
we heard a lot, almost, I would say 90% of everyone told us our vision was too big, our dreams were too big, all those things on our list of things we knew the Lord was calling us to do, we could never possibly accomplish them, because who were we? Not only were we young, we were super naive, Uh, we had no money to start the projects, we had no business skills. I heard afterwards there's a degree in nonprofit management. I had no idea. We didn't have that degree. Uh, Tyler was a felon by the age of 16, so that's like a big strikeout against us. So. Which, quite honestly, I don't think anybody's surprised. You look like a felon. You just do. That's why I like you. <clears throat> and, and a strategy. You guys didn't. I remember asking, so what's your strategy? And you yeah, were. Really we had like the week plan, we were going to go. Yeah. And after that, it was just it, and we were going to see what happened when we got there. So no money, no experience. It's a great idea to raise your little girls in Africa. Um, no plan, all of that, right? Very little support back here, including your family. Your family, not so much you. Okay. And yet, um, what were some of the ways that God, that, that you can clearly see God's hand of provision in your life in the past few years? We started, we opened our first orphanage in August of 2010, and just a few months later, in January of 2011, we met the Wilson family, and first of all, we were shocked they would even want to meet us. They're so widely respected in Jacksonville, and Tyler and I are not, um, so we had dinner with them somewhere in Ponte Vedra, I can't remember, and literally just from that, probably one and a half to two hour conversation of us just sharing our hearts with them and hearing their hearts for raising up kids, they agreed that they wanted to build our boys' dorm and our girls' dorm and our baby home and the security wall, and it was massive. And so as if that wasn't enough of a partnership, they so graciously decided that they want to further invest in the future of our kids uh, at ACOA. And so this year is really embarking on a new partnership between the McKinsey Foundation and ACOA. And I can honestly tell you, when Tyler and I started ACOA, we didn't even know how we were going to pay for anything. So when a foundation like the foundation, that's what we call them, is the foundation, uh, wanted to partner with Tyler and I, it was just so clearly the Lord. And we were just so humbled and amazed that God would make that happen. Amen. Amen. Um, the other thing, yeah. The other thing was, you know, we... We were getting ready to move. We were, you know, we didn't really have many plans laid out. Um, when I met Pastor Joby um, a few years back, and I, for some unknown reason, he had faith in us. And uh, ever since basically that day, the Church of 1122 has uh, financially supported us. Um, they have encouraged us. All of your prayers, each and every one of you, um, is what got us through the hardship of 2013. And uh, even all the way to sending your pastor uh, and a team to minister to us last year and to the people of Uganda. Um, the support of a church like this um, is just something that we obviously weren't planning and we, we never would have guessed it, but we're so blessed by it. So one of the things I want you to know is um, <clears throat> there's this beautiful picture of what God has been doing. Uh, really, it's like the trifecta of God's work between the foundation and 1122, and a core refuge, and at this point, it'd be so easy to look at three really successful organizations and be like, well, sure, that's easy to run those or, or to step into that, but if you back up to the beginning of all of those, there's lots of reasons and excuses that, that we all three could have bowed out of and said, nah, not me, 
God, you got to pick somebody else. And yet, by God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness, he's put the three of us together. And it's really, here's the biggest thing, and it's all about him. That God didn't choose Tyler and Leave to show Uganda how awesome they are, but to show, show Uganda how awesome he is. Same thing with this church, same thing with the foundation. And so we're all united under Christ, and it really... It really is cool. And then also, you need to know this, church. Um, this isn't just like a ministry that we support, but, but Lee and Tyler are us. They're an extension of 1122 in Uganda and around the world. The same thing's true of, of the Mackenzie Wilson Foundation. And so the way I want to close is I want <clears throat> to pray for them once again. So if you would just reach your hand forward <clears throat> like you're laying your hands on them right here um, and in the sanctuary and everywhere, just, and let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, God, I thank you for, for your call on the lives of this man and this woman. God, we pray your blessing upon, upon their ministry in Uganda and really all around the world. God, I thank you for that hundredth orphan that will know that you are the father to the fatherless. God, I thank you for the hundreds of people that the medical clinics see, that every one of those folks know that you are the great physician. God, I thank you for the community development center. God, I thank you so much that you reach out to those that are helpless and hurting and brokenhearted. God, I thank you that in your goodness and in your sovereignty, you have put people together, like Blake and Stephanie, like the folks here at 1122, and like this man and this woman, for your glory and our joy. And God, I pray your blessing upon this family, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, yeah. amen. One more time, let's thank them. <clears throat> all right, Exodus chapter 2. If you hadn't found it by now, quit. All right, <clears throat> just get your notes, it's in there. We're going, to pick up, we're going to pick up on where we were last week with the call of God on Moses' life. You'll remember last week we said that God can use both pain and provision for his own plans. And that you and I will never experience the kind of joy that you experience when you are walking in what glorifies God most. And so <clears throat> what we're going to see here today is the calling of God on the life of Moses. And hopefully what God does to you and your heart is that you would see that if... If Jesus is your Lord, that he's got a call on your life too. So chapter 2, verse 23. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Here's one, some of you, this is all you need to hear this morning that God knows, that he knows, that maybe you feel like he's been silent, but he is not absent. Whether you came in here with great, great blessing or in great pain, that God knows. He hears the cry of his people. <clears throat> and what we're going to see here is that he also delights in using his children for his own purposes and his own glory. And so God hears the cry that his people are in Egypt, and they're being mistreated, and they cry out to God, and God knows. So God does something about it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. <coughs> you remember last week, we said that, that as, as Moses was on the run, remember he killed that guy in Egypt, and he went, um, he went out to the desert, Midian, and he got a job as a shepherd for his father-in-law, and he starts a new family and all of that. You remember last week, the Bible said that Moses was content to do that. So at the beginning of chapter 3, Moses just wakes up as a shepherd once again, and he thinks this is just an average, ordinary day. Little does he know that God is about to change the trajectory of his life and make a worldwide impact, even though Moses wasn't expecting it. For some of you today, that could be true for you. 
that today you just got up, went to church, because that's what you do, and you're not really expecting anything, and God is going to step into your life, and he's going to ruin your life in the best way possible. I feel like one of my favorite things to do is to partner with God to ruin your life in the best way possible. Hey, he did it to me, and so I want him to do it to you too. That's how that works, and that's what's going to happen right here to Moses. Just an ordinary, average day, wakes up and does whatever shepherds do, and then here's what happens. So Moses is keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And this is a big deal, okay? Moses thinks it's an ordinary average day. He sees the fire. He's like, I'm going to go check it out. Why? Because he's a man. We like fire. That's what we do. You ever seen a man at a campfire? What does he do? He just stares at the campfire. All right, it's mesmerizing. Gets over there, and then the burning bush talks to him, calls his name, Moses, Moses. And and then he says this, take off your shoes. Why? Because the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, if I'm Moses, here's what I'm thinking. You mean this ground is holy ground? Because I've been walking around here for 40 years. Has it always been holy ground, or did it just become holy ground right now? Because I'm hoping and I'm praying that it just became holy ground, and I hadn't been missing it for 40 years. Here's what I think happens to you and me almost every single day. That you and I could be trampling on holy ground because God wants to connect with us, but we're so busy doing our ordinary, average, everyday life that we can miss an encounter with the Almighty God. And if you haven't heard from God lately, I don't think you can put that on him. I mean, what would you do with the last thing that he told you to do? Another way I'd love to ask it is this. If you were God, would you talk to you? Because I don't know. I get tired of telling people the same thing over and over and over, and they don't do anything with it. So what about the last thing the Lord has said to you? What did you do with that? Do you realize that maybe you are missing encounters with the almighty God, and he has been calling out your name, and you and I just haven't been paying attention? You know, it's like being in a place where there's a Wi-Fi hotspot. You realize that hotspot is there all day, every day, but you have to log on to that hotspot. Maybe that's the way God is right now, that he is calling out your name. He is speaking to you, and you're missing it, not because of him, because Moses finally turns aside to see the activity of God. And it's when he turns his eyes off of his ordinary, average, everyday life, and he turns it to what the Lord would have him to do. That's when he connects with God. And so he says, <clears throat> take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground, verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, <clears throat> the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And this is the natural, right response to an almighty, sovereign, and perfect God. You see, sometimes we've tried to dumb down who God is. And let me just tell you, Jesus ain't your homeboy, Okay. It's not like you see Jesus and you'd be like, hey, buddy, high five. Uh Uh-uh, almighty, sovereign king of the universe. And so when when Moses interacts with this burning bush that calls his name, and he says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what does he do? He bows down and hides his face. Why? Because that's a natural response to an almighty king of the universe. Not only that, 
It's also what you do if you're like Moses. Why is Moses out in the desert? Remember? He's like Tyler. He's a fugitive. He's a felon, right? And so he knows, God, if you're calling out to me, I'm in trouble. I I mean, I've felt this way many, many times in my life. When I was in grade school and the intercom would come on, please send Joey Martin to the office, I never once thought, I bet I won a prize. No. (laughs) I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I would hide my face. You'll remember a a few weeks ago, Pastor Stone taught us. He said, when we get to the place in the gospel where where we surrender our lives to the lordship of Christ, when we kneel down before the cross, the cross teaches us two things. One is that when we surrender to Jesus, we begin to understand or perceive um, the exponential holiness of God. He's holier and holier and holier and holier than we ever knew. And we begin to understand that. The closer we get to Jesus, the more perfect we realize God is. And simultaneously, we begin to understand the deep depths of our depravity and our wretchedness and our blackheartedness. And people like Isaiah say, I have seen the king. I am a man of unclean lips. I should die. And you bow down before an almighty God and say, I'm not worthy. And the only thing to fill the gap between the holiness of God and the depravity of man is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the good news of the invitation of the cross of Jesus Christ is, yes, God is holy. And no, you are not. But in Christ, you are made holy. So the gospel, the invitation of Jesus is to lean down and say, no, no, no. You don't have to hide your face. You can come face to face with your father. Not because you deserve it, but I've purchased it for you on the cross. And so Moses bows his face down, verse 7, and then the Lord said, now pay attention here, because this should set the stage for their entire conversation that Moses has with God. God's going to be clear about who the active agent here is in the book of Exodus. In verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, the land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites. Those people will eat you alive, you know what I'm saying? And the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of my people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression to which the Egyptians oppressed them. In other words, notice who the active agent is here, right? And if I'm Moses, I go, I get it, God, so you're going to do something about it. You've heard the cry of your people, you know their situation, and you are going to do something about it. I agree, you should do something about it. Now, why are you telling me? Here's why, verse 10. God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Look, this is just true. God delights in using his children to accomplish his plans. That's why I wanted to bring Tyler and Leave up here, because he delights. Does he need Tyler and Leave to reach Uganda? Uh-uh. Does he need the foundation? Mm-mm. Does he need me in 1122? Nope. He could do it without us. And yet, he delights in using his children to accomplish his purpose. Why? Because he's a good dad. Now, as Americans, we think the whole world revolves around us. God does not buy into that. Uh, philosopher, theologian, and JV football coach, Coach Bull Lee, used to tell me this. Boy, you want to know how important you are? You want to know what kind of big a dent you're going to leave in this world? Why don't you take your finger, put it in a cup of water, and pull it out and see what kind of dent you make? That's how long it takes God to replace you. You're like in the seventh grade, like, thanks, Coach. I thought I was a butterfly and a snowflake. Uh Uh-uh, you ain't a snowflake, son. That's, That's what he would say. And yet, while that is true, and God delights God says, I don't need you to accomplish anything I want to accomplish. But like a good dad, he goes, but you want to go to work with me today? 
Why don't you join along and I'll use you to accomplish my plans for my glory. And and you will never experience a kind of deep-rooted joy like you experience when you know that you've been used of God to accomplish His plans and His purposes. Instead of being full of yourself, you empty yourself for the sake of the gospel. You see, the bottom line on the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it's not self-improvement. It's actually self-denial for His sake. And that's where you find true life that you can never find than just trying to be a better version of you. And so that's why, that's a big part of why God says, come and I will send you. Notice God does not ask questions. God doesn't say, hey, Moses, I want you to pray about it. I want you to, will you, do you mind volunteering? Will you fill out this form for me and check this box? No, why? Because God is his Lord and King and he just gives commandments. Not a lot of questions, not a lot of polls, not a lot of, do you feel like doing this, that, or the other. But there's a lot of commandments here. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses says to God, for the rest of this chapter, you know what you get? You get five excuses from Moses. Which, <clears throat> if, you, if you're serious about Bible study, and, and I hope you are, I am, this is like an actual event. And part of it makes me scratch my head like, Moses, how are you going to talk back to God right here? I mean, can you imagine, let's put it in, in, our, in our day right now, like, when the service is over and we're all on our way to go eat pizza or wings or whatever you're going to eat, can you imagine if we were walking out in the parking lot and your car was on fire? And if I saw your car on fire, I'd be like, whoa, i got to go look at this. Why? Because it's a fire and I'm a man. That's what we do. And I'd walk over to it and I'd look at it. And then if the radio popped on, Joby, Joby, I'd take my shoes off because I read the book. I know that's what you're supposed to do. And I'd have my face. And, and then if he just started talking to me, Joby, this is what we're about to do. I can't imagine a scenario where the big ball of flame car is talking to me and calling my name, and I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know if I could do that. And yet, this is what Moses is going to do, which, by the way, is exactly what we do. You see, there's a lot of commands in this letter that God wrote you. The whole thing is about Jesus, about God's redemptive story for his people through his son, Jesus Christ, and there's some commands in here like go. And make disciples of all nations. And there are a lot of us who are like, nah, he ain't talking to me. He's talking to us. And we come with excuse after excuse after excuse. Here's Moses' first excuse. Verse 11. But Moses said to God. By the way, in the scriptures, when the Bible says, but God, it's usually, usually good news. But when it says, but Moses or any other name, it's usually not good news. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel? Now, I mean, out of Egypt. Now, if you were here last week, you know that God could have responded to Moses and said, what do you mean, who are you? I raised you in Pharaoh's house to prepare you to go back to Pharaoh's house to say, let my people go. But that's not how he answered it. By the way, Moses' excuse number one is the deepest fear of every man in this room. And I mean males. Listen, wives, listen, I'm going to give you a little secret. Don't tell anybody. This is the deepest fear in the heart of every man in the room. Here's their, the deep question in their heart is, do I have what it takes? You see, Moses is afraid because he thinks, who, who am I, God, that you would use me? And essentially what he's saying is, what if I don't have what it takes to do what you called me to do? It's, it's the deepest fear of every man in here. We, every dude in here, and no matter how tough or rich or strong they are, we've, we're just a bunch of scared little eighth grade boys, okay? That's just what we are. And our biggest fear is that we would be exposed to the reality of the question that we don't have what it takes. It's why there are many of you in this room 
and you've not stepped out in obedience to what God has called you to do because you're afraid of failure. And you're afraid that the whole world might know that you don't have what it takes. Look how God answers him. God does not look at Moses when Moses says, but who am I? God doesn't look at him and go, but Moses, you're smart enough and you're good enough and doggone it, people like you. No, he doesn't say anything about Moses. He said, but I will be with you. The answer to every one of Moses' excuse, all of his excuses are going to be, God, there's a problem with me. All of, God, all of God's answers are going to be, yeah, but there ain't a problem with me. Moses, this is not about you. This is about me. God says, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. In other words, it's like God saying, did you not just pay attention to what I said? I'm the deliverer. I've heard my people. I care for my people. I'm going to deliver them, and I'm going to send you. And Moses goes, but who am I? It ain't about you, bro. It's about me. Quit making this about you. Moses can't help, help himself. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, all right, <clears throat> if I come up to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Again, excuse number two, <clears throat> Moses is still concerned about Moses. Moses says, okay, God, if I do what you said, okay, what if they don't believe me? Who am I going to say sent me? Because God, I don't know if you talk to people lately, but when you go up to people and the intro to your statement is, can I tell you something that God told me? They think you're crazy. You know why? Because that's the stuff crazy people say. It just is. I hear it at the end of every service, all right? God told me, and I go, mm, okay. Maybe he did. You're probably more spiritual than me. I'll give that to you. But Moses is saying, they don't think I'm crazy. So what do I tell them? Who should I say sent me? If I'm going to run errands for you, shouldn't we be like on a first name basis? And so God says this. He answers the question. 14. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. That's the English translation. It means to be, the, the Hebrew word is Yahweh. It's just four letters. There's no vowels in Hebrew, so it's just Yahweh. And it means um, eternal present. I am who I am. There's not a past. There's not a present. There's just an eternal. I mean, there's not a past. There's not a future. There's just the now. That God has always been there. That God will always be there. The, the word Yahweh, <clears throat> the name of God is his covenant name. It also is supposed to sound, if you said it in Hebrew, it doesn't sound the same when a Dylan guy says it, but it's, it's supposed to sound like breathing, like an exhale and an inhale. And just like your breath is life, then God is ever present in your life. That's what his name means. You can fast forward to the book of Revelation. That's why it will say in Revelation that the elders and the tribes and us, we will gather around his throne and we will say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In other words, eternal present. So Moses, you go and tell them that the one that's from eternity past to eternity future, the I am who I am to be, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel <coughs> shall go to the king of Egypt and say, the Lord, 
the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness that they may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Two things. God says this. I need you to go and tell them, I am that I am has sent you. And you remember all those Bible stories from Sunday school, elders of Israel, about how God worked in the life of Abraham and in the life of Isaac and the life of Jacob? Well, because I am that I am, I am who I am because I never change. The same kind of work that I I have done in their lives, I am still at work in your life. The reason that you can trust me today is because I was trustworthy then. That's one thing that he told me. The other thing is this. Moses, when they don't believe you, don't tell them about you. Tell them about me. So you see what Moses' concern is, is about himself. But God, what if they don't believe me? And God says, don't give them your resume. Give them my resume. Because again, Moses, this is not about you. This is about me. I am going to deliver my people. You're just a spokesman for me. Verse 19 says this, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. You know what that means? God is calling Moses, and he says, Moses, I want you to go, tell the Pharaoh, let my people go, and it's not going to work until I step in and do my part. And so I will stretch out my hand and strike, the, strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, after that, he will let you go, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. So some things never change, right? <clears throat> and you shall put them on your sons and daughters, and so shall you plunder the Egyptians. Here's what God is saying. So actually, Moses, you're going to go at first, and they're not going to believe you, and they're not going to do anything that I'm asking you to do until I step in and make it happen. Let me tell you why this is good news for you and me. That God is neither dependent, nor is he measuring our success, but our obedience. And that means the pressure's off. You want to start a foundation? Well, is it going to work? Doesn't matter. Has God called you to start it? Then go. And you're measured on your obedience, not whether it works or not. Hey, you want to start a church? What if it doesn't work? I don't know. That's not the point. The point is, you do your part, do whatever God has called you to do, and then watch God do his part. Right? Want to go save orphans in Africa? How do you know it's going to work? I don't know. I don't know that it's going to work. That's the whole point. That we're not walking by fact. We're walking by faith. That we're just walking in obedience, not to our own talent level, but to the faithfulness of an almighty God. And that should cause us to go, and sometimes, sometimes God is glorified in our success, and sometimes God is glorified in our failure. Now, I know you all want to be Tebow and score a touchdown and then be like, see, Jesus made me do that. I know that's, we all want God to be glorified in our touchdowns. Sometimes God is glorified most when we don't make the team and we show the world what it looks like to say he is more than enough. His grace is more than enough. And so that's part of what God's saying. Don't get too hung up in you because if you're too successful, Moses, you might think you're awesome. And I didn't call you to go to Egypt so that Egypt would know how awesome Moses is but so that the world would know how awesome God is. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, this is crazy to me, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. In other words, remember he just said, God, who should I say sent me? And God gives his theological dissertation on um, how God has moved in human history and who he is and what his name means. 
Moses goes, God, I don't, I don't think that theological stuff's going to work. That's what he says. God, I, I get the answer about Yahweh, and that's awesome, but what if they still don't believe me? That's his third excuse. God, your answer isn't good enough. What if that doesn't work? And then God, verse 2, this is where it gets really good. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. Now, here's what you've got to understand. When Moses, on his third excuse, goes, God, but what if they still don't believe me? And God goes, what's that in your hand? And when Moses says a staff, he's not just talking about a stick. You know what he's talking about? Oh, well, actually, God, you know what this is. This staff, this is my sin, and this is my shame. You see, maybe you used to have a plan for my life when you rescued me from the Nile and you raised me in the house of Pharaoh. Okay, I get on that. But there was a day where I murdered somebody, and all that was thwarted. It all went away. And so the reason I live out here in the desert, you know, I'm not some kind of great leader. You know what I lead every day, God? A nation? No, sheep. I heard Pastor Joby's sermon last week. They're the dumbest animal on the planet, and I'm qualified to lead them. That's it. And the reason I'm out here as a shepherd, I work for my father-in-law for 40 years, so you know I don't make good decisions. Look, this is what I do. This represents my excuses and my hopelessness, and I'm not good enough to be used by you. And so God says, what is that in your hand? Thanks for bringing that up, God. And look what he does. Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? He says, it's a staff. Verse 3, and he said, so throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Why? Because it's a real story. This actually event it happened. If you had a stick, and you throw it on the ground, and it becomes a snake, what are you going to do, pray? Uh-uh. You run. That's what he did. And so then, <clears throat> just for time's sake, I'm going to, verses 4 through 9, here's what God says. So he says, take the staff, throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. Then he says, reach out your hand. And pick it up by the tail. Now, here's the thing. When he first saw the snake, Moses ran from it. You know what a lot of people do? God's got a clear call in their life. And when it starts getting real, like he actually starts flexing, like you got to put some money down on something or sign on something or make a public commitment that I'm going to step out in faith to do what God has called me to do. When God's power begins to demonstrate itself and you see it, and it's not just an idea anymore, but you actually got to do something about it. There's so many of us that see God begin to work in our lives, and then we take off running in the other direction because you're afraid that God might actually do what he told you in your heart already you know he wants to do through you. So then God says, so, hey, grab that thing by the tail. So you know this is the man of faith, right? So he reaches out, grabs it by the tail, and it, it turns into a staff again. And then God says, show them that, and maybe they'll believe. He knows they won't. Which, by the way, God apparently is fine with tricking people. So if you got tricked to be here today, if somebody said, hey, you want to go to lunch? And you're like, sure. And you got in their car and they like threw you a hot pocket. And now you're in here and you're like, what? God is totally okay with that. <clears throat> Read your Bible. So, throw the stick down, comes a snake, turns into a stick again. He goes, all right, Moses, now take your hand and put it in your cloak and pull it out. And when he pulls it out, it's leprous. It's like white like snow and the skin's falling off, okay? Put it back in, pull it out, it's, it's healed. And then he goes, show him that, all right? And then if that doesn't work, then go get some... Um, water from the Nile and put it on the ground and it'll turn to blood. How about those three tricks? So you got three. You got the, sta- the, the, the stick, snake, sticks trick. We're like, hey, let my people go. No, but watch this. Hey, yeah. That didn't work? Okay. Ah, ah. See? Now? No? Then you go get the water, put it on the ground. Be like, see the blood? It could be your blood. Now? No? Okay. <clears throat> so it's kind of like God saying, okay, is that enough, Moses? I mean, those are 
pretty cool party tricks, right? Like if I could do that, our church would grow like crazy. Even if you didn't believe what we were talking about, you'd be like, this dude can make his hand get diseased and then be okay. You bring a cup of water, he make it into blood. Or he's got this snake thing, you ain't come with me. That's what you would do. God's like, is that enough? Moses is like, uh-uh, verse 10. And Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. I understand this. His fourth excuse is this, God, I'm not a good speaker. So if I'm going to speak on behalf of you to the most powerful man in the world in, in front of a nation, God, I think you've picked the wrong person because I'm not talented enough. Like, I, I, I stutter. Essentially, God's answer is this, I don't. But God, I stutter. But Moses, I don't. And you haven't caught on to fundamentally what we're talking about here. I didn't call you to go to Egypt to show Egypt how great you are, but show to the world how great I am. And so here's God's answer. <clears throat> Again, God does not say to Moses, you can do better. Never. He's never, God's answers to Moses' excuse are never about Moses. They're always about the Lord. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. In other words, Moses, you keep making excuses because you're focused on you. And as long as you are focused on you, you'll always have excuses of why not to do this. And again, Moses, I'm not calling you to demonstrate how awesome you are. But it's a demonstration of how awesome I am. And I know this to be true because I am a living, breathing, walking, talking example that that's a fact. In, in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 27, this is what the Bible says. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The God, <clears throat> that God likes to use ordinary, average people with not a lot of talent for his own glory. I'm telling you, I know this to be true. I think God wanted to fill 1 Corinthians 1, 27 again in this generation. And he said, where can I find the weak and untalented? There's a very high concentration of that in Dillon, South Carolina. You've got to trust me. And he went, I'll pick that overeducated redneck from Dillon. And I'm going to put him on stage to just preach the gospel. And then look. And then look. It's not because I'm awesome, because I'm not. It's because he's awesome. And here's how I know this is true. Because you come up and say some ridiculous stuff to me every week. You come up to me and be like, you've changed my life. I don't even know your name. I ain't changed anything, okay? I just teach the word and God flexes. Or you'll say this, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. I know two things. You don't go to church much. All right, that's true. And then God must be at work. Because if I ever write a preaching book, it's going to be called Moderately Delivered, Exceptionally Received. That's just how it works. Why? <clears throat> because God calls ordinary average people to do extraordinary things for his glory. Let me tell you this, if you think you are immensely talented, I've got good news. God can still use you too, it's just a lot harder, okay? <clears throat> and then the last one, this might be my favorite one, the fifth excuse, verse 13. Moses says, oh my Lord, please send someone else. That's really what I wanted to say in the beginning, but I wasn't, uh, just, can you just send somebody else? Here's his fifth excuse. I can't do this. You picked the wrong guy. God, can you just get somebody else to do it? Somebody more talented, somebody with a better track record. Somebody else, verse 14, and then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. To which when I read this this week, I thought, well, it's about time. I mean, we're on the fifth excuse here. <clears throat> it's 
the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. In other words, I'll give you the words, you give him the words, and he will speak. This is just true. God will always give you everything you need to accomplish everything he has called you to accomplish. You might not be able to achieve all your New Year's resolutions, and I hope you do. Okay, I hope you all get out of debt, and I hope you work out. You need to, all right? But regardless of that, he's going to give you everything you need to accomplish what he has called you to accomplish. I know this because when we were starting this church, I was a lot like leaving Tyler. No experience, never been a lead pastor before. I had a few people and a few staff members that were saying, we're with you. And I remember telling them, I don't know if I can pay you, but let's go. Didn't have a place. We came here and looked at Walmart. looked like the end of a Terminator 2 movie. I thought, that doesn't smell like church in there, okay? And so there was all these reasons to not do it except that God began to surround me with the right people at the right time. He gave us everything we need to accomplish everything that he has called us to do. And... Something landed on me like a ton of bricks when I was studying this this week is how patient is God with Moses? It's the fifth excuse before God gets angry with Moses. It's the fifth excuse that God is so patient with Moses. You see, God, God gets angry, but he has to be stirred to anger. God is love, okay? That God in his very nature is love. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, as a leader, especially like the leader of this church, you know how many excuses it takes to stir me to anger? One. One. I'm going to tell you, you can ask my staff. I love my staff. I love our elders. I love working together. God's given me the best people in the world, for sure. But I ask the staff person, hey, listen, I need you to do this. And you give me an excuse? I mean, on the first one, our staff know the death blow for me is if I ever say to them this. No, don't worry about it. I'll do it. No, I know you got a, a ministry area to run, and I've got the whole thing. But don't worry about it. I know you're busy. Just give that back to me, all right? I mean, it's not awesome. The best example I've ever heard of this is, is Lars Peterson. Remember we talked about last, year, last week, Petey, who was an upper-level executive of Belk Department Stores? <clears throat> he was telling me a long time ago, John Belk, the, the founder and president of the company that they named Belk Department Stores after, Christian man, love Jesus, they're going to do a store opening, all right? Little town, big store, super exciting, all right? The news is there, the newspaper's there, video cameras rolling, it's a big deal. Lots of new jobs in that area. It's a big deal for Belk because their, their vision is expanding to a new town. And they show up to do a ribbon cutting. And when they show up to do a ribbon cutting, John Belk gets out of his car and he's walking around and, you know, grinning and gripping. And this is a big day. <clears throat> and the store manager, who was like loosely related, probably married to a, a niece or a cousin or something, he comes up and on the ribbon cutting day, this store manager comes up with excuses and complaints. Excuses and complaints. Complaints about the trucks weren't here on time and the, and the shelves weren't stocked right and the people aren't right. and just meh, 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 Excuse, excuse, excuse. Right there in front of all of the employees and the people and the newspapers and everything. And so John Belt looks at the man and says, I can help you with that. Give me your keys. Now, see students, there used to be these metal things that you had to use to like get in doors and stuff. It was crazy. And if you were real important, like in charge of a store, you looked like a middle school janitor with like just a bunch of keys, okay? <clears throat> and so that means the store manager had access to everything. So he looks at this guy with the excuses of why he couldn't get it done on what should have been a big day and goes, I can help you with that. Hand me your keys. 
And the guy hands over his keys, and he goes, now you don't have to worry about it anymore. Bye. Looks at the next guy. Who are you? Assistant store manager. Congratulations. You've been promoted. Go cut the ribbon. Now, when I hear that story, something wells up in my spirit, and I just want to do that so bad. So bad. I just walk around going, I can help you with that. I can help you with that. Ugh, somebody mess up so I can just do that and take your stuff. That's what I want to do so bad. I tried on my, my nine-year-old flag football team. I can help you with that, but you know, it's so bad. I am not a patient man, okay? I am not. I don't pray for patience. I pray people will hurry up. That's what I pray for. <clears throat> Thank God. And again, John Belt was an amazing Christian man. Thank God. God didn't look at me and go, I can help you with that. Give it back. Uh-uh. He's incredibly patient with us, incredibly patient with us. And so maybe God's got a call in your life, and you've made excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. It's time for the excuses to be done. It's time for the excuses to be done. And then look how he closes it up. Verse 17, he says, And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. The very thing that was the number one excuse. I'm not good enough. I'm not man enough. They're not going to believe me. I haven't been trained right. God says, that's the very thing, the symbol of your sin and shame. I'm going to use it to demonstrate my power. What, what you're going to find out in two weeks is that Moses is going to be standing before the Red Sea. He's going to hold up that staff. The Red Sea is going to part. God loves using our very weaknesses to display his strength. You know how I know this? You know what the symbol of sin and shame on this earth are? The cross. You know what the demonstration of the power of God is? It's the cross. That in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus did not make excuses. He made a difference. He became our Savior. He went to the cross. He used the very thing that the world had as a picture of sin and death and shame. And God demonstrated his power through it. So here's the point. <clears throat> For those of us in the room that feel like God has called us to do something, here's the point. You can make excuses or you can make a difference. That's right. God's got a call in your life. You can make excuses or you can make a difference. And let me tell you this, you're going to get real good at one of those. You're either going to get real good at explaining why you don't have to do what God's called you to do or you're just going to get out there and do it. I don't know anybody that's good at both. I know people that are good at excuses and good at making a difference, never both. And your excuses, if you find yourself with excuse after excuse like Moses, your excuses and my excuses, they're rooted in fear because they're focused on our shortcomings. They're rooted in fear because they're focused on our shortcomings. But people that make a difference, look, that's rooted in faith because it's focused on God's faithfulness, not us. So my question to you is this. What has God called you to do? What has God called you to do? Is it going to be tough? Sure. Because if you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need him anyway. But his divine power has given you everything you need to do everything that he has called you to do. What has he called you to do? Some of you in the room are like, I don't know what he's talking about. Fine, come back next. There's some of you in the room who are like, did you email him? I didn't, nobody emailed me, okay? That's the burning bush in your own life. God's clear direction in your own life. And you know exactly what it is that he's called you to do. So what is it? <clears throat> For some of you, it's epic, huge, big, life-altering, lifestyle-changing. It's to quit your job and start a ministry. For a bunch of you, it's to go back to your job tomorrow and treat it like a ministry. For some of you, it's to go into full-time mission work internationally. For some of you, it's to adopt. For some of you, it's to foster kids. You know what it is. You know what it is. Then why haven't you done it? What's your excuse? Another way I'd like to ask that is, what are you so afraid of? 
failure, remember, it's not about your success, it's about your obedience. If you think it's in your power to do it, it'll be a failure anyway, but if God has called you to do it, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. And don't walk in fear, walk in faith of what God has called you to do. So for some of you, man, it's big, it's big, it's life-changing for most of us in the room. What he's called you to do in 2015 is just take one more step towards him. Just take one more step towards him. We all have that general call in our life. The book of James, God says it this way, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. What we do at the church of 1122 is try to create the kind of environments where you can draw near to God. That's what this is about right now. Some of you, some of you are ready to take that next step and join a disciple group. That's right. Join a disciple group. That's what you need to do. And as soon as I tell you that, that God's calling you to, to join a disciple group, I know the excuses already start going. I've heard them. Some of you go, well, I got little kids. You know what you need to do for your little kids? Listen, there's nothing better than you can do than mama and daddy love Jesus more and become more like Jesus. You understand? There's nothing. And you know, like, oh, I got little kids and I'm so busy. Listen, T-ball's fine, flag football's fine, soccer's a waste of time, and you can go through all that stuff all you want to, but there is nothing that would be more beneficial to the life of your children than them watching mama and daddy get, get ready for Bible study every week. And some of you are like, well, I went, to, I went to one and I didn't like it. That's fine. You've eaten meals that you didn't like, but you didn't give up on food. You just found some stuff you like. Just find another one where, you, where they're kind of your people. I understand that. Some of you are like, well, but I'm busy. Doing what? I mean, if you're, a, if you're a Jesus follower, doing what? What are you so busy doing that you don't have time to be discipled in fellowship with other believers? So maybe you need to, oh, here's my favorite one. I don't know the Bible that well. That's why you got to go. The one that makes me mad is I went and I didn't get much out of it. You still think it's about you, don't you? What if I brought that attitude to this service? You know what, I've been every week, and I'm not getting that much out of it. I'm not going anymore. It would impact the service kind of in a big way, wouldn't it? Since you're the Bible expert, maybe your role is to just throw out your knowledge for all the people in your group. So that's one. Maybe you take a step and join a group. Maybe you take a step and you, and you join the serve staff, and you're thinking, yeah, but I don't have any talents. Perfect. You're perfectly positioned to be used by an almighty God. Perfectly. If you think, you know what, I'm kind of awesome and they need me. God can still use you. It's just really, really hard, okay? So you step in. Some of you, it's go on a mission trip. Go on a mission trip. And you say, yeah, but I'm afraid. Fear not. The Bible says it 365 times. Do not be afraid. You can either serve your fear or you can serve your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your call. And again, some of you are like, yeah, but what would I do? We'll tell you, I promise. You go and watch God use you. Some of you say, well, I don't have the money. Raise it. Raise it. Quit drinking Starbucks. It's like a million dollars a year. You have it plenty. Support missions all over the world. No problem. Whatever it is, you'll get good at either making excuses or making a difference. Some of you, a lot of you, you need to go from being a consumer or a receiver of the mission, vision, and values of 1122, and you think, oh, this is my church. This is my home church. You need to move into covenant membership. You need to partner with me and the staff and the elders and about 300 members that we have right now, and you go, I want to be an owner of the mission, vision, and values. No excuses but to make a difference. So what's God called you to do? What are your excuses? What's in your hand that he might use for his own goodness and his own glory? <clears throat> I can tell you this, man. Before we planted this church, there were a hundred reasons not to do it. 
a hundred reasons not to do it. Churches don't meet in Walmart. A denominational church has never planted. You know, a Methodist church has never planted. A non-denominational church. I've never been a lead pastor before. We had to raise millions of dollars. What if nobody shows up? There was a lot of what ifs. You know what drives me like crazy? On ordinary average Sundays like today, in just a minute when the band comes out and we start singing and the altar is flooded and people are crying and God is changing lives, I sit right down there and I have this overwhelming thought. What if we didn't do it? What if we didn't? Now, I, got, I know God could use anybody, and I'm not trying to take credit for anything that he has done, but I think, what if he didn't? Because I can tell you this. I fear disobedience way more than I fear failure. But why not just go for it? I did not want to be 80 years old and look back to September of 2012 and go, hmm, wonder what might have happened. Do you know what hangs in the balance for you? You have no idea what God is waiting to do. But he's called you. And what it'll take is to not be led by fear, but to step out in faith and to go for it. Not make excuses, but to make a difference. This could be the year. 2015, maybe today, could be the day that changes the trajectory, not just of your life, but I mean the lives of all kind of people. Not because you're awesome, but because he is. Please stand and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much. You don't need us. You don't need us. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. You're God. And yet, <clears throat> in your grace and in your mercy, and because you love us, because you're a dad and we're your kids, you let us join in your work. God, I thank you for the amazing things that you have been doing in partnerships between folks like the McKenzie Wilson Foundation and ACOA, 1122, God, we never could have orchestrated that with some kind of incredible strategic plan. It's all you, and everybody that sees it has to realize it's all you. I also personally thank you, God, that there is no more joy in this world, life-giving joy, than being a part of God-glorifying plans. Lord, I pray that as a church we would get over ourselves, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after you, God, there's some people in this room, there's about a dozen people listening to this right now, and it's life-altering decisions, and they are scared to death. And God, maybe the reason you said over 360 times to not be afraid is because we're scared. Can the Holy Spirit speak to some hearts and souls and let them hear, do not be afraid. And so, God, I pray that this church would fear not, we would focus on you, and that we would just go and do whatever it is that you have called us to do. And we would understand that you delight in our obedience, not our success. So God, would you just work? Would you just work in the lives of our folks to just be obedient to what you called us to do? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> hey, we respond to the gospel. We respond by singing. We respond by coming and praying. There's a lot of you who need to come to the altar and lay some stuff at his feet because you know today's the day. You've heard from the burning bush. It's never going to be the same. No more excuses. Now it's time to make a difference. And then we respond by bringing back to God our tithes and offerings. We do that in the giving boxes around the side, or you can do it electronically. However it is, let us respond.